Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. You want to be an open arms church. You want to be a people known by love. And nobody really wants to talk about this. But sometimes we have questions. And when someone sends in a question to info at rsafeharbor.com, we try our best to answer the question. And a question came in, what about church discipline? Now, if you're not a church person, or if you come from a, a very different religious tribe than let's say Protestantism, you might wonder what church discipline is. What it means is the same as the other words for it used for the last 2000 years, excommunication, shunning, disfellowship, and etc. What do you do when somebody in your faith community is bringing into disrepute your community and your faith? What do you do when someone by their behavior causes outsiders to either look down on God or to dismiss God? Because if this is what God's people are like, they want nothing to do with God's people. What kind of thing would trigger a, a faith community to say, you person are no longer part of our community? Why would you do that? Well, the roots of this really come from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Corinth was a mess. You can go back through our midweek Bible studies as we walked through the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and there's so much background material there, I really can't do that here. But you can go back and look. There are no paywalls. We don't pull things down, so you've, you've got that up there. What was going on in this particular mess, Corinth was just a whole blender full of messes, was that a man had taken his father's wife and was living with her as husband and wife. Now this was almost certainly not his mother, but a stepmother. Uh, his father could have been alive or could have been dead. We don't know. That's not the issue. The issue is that he had done this and he was proud of it. And there were people in the church that were proud of it. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, no, 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 this is completely wrong. And he even says, and this is key, even among the outsiders, those outside of the faith community, even they find this completely unacceptable. This person was a danger to the reputation of the faith community. And so what did Paul say? Paul said, deliver, deliver him to Satan for a while. So what did that mean? Well, Everything has Jewish roots. Remember that in scripture, everything has Jewish roots. So we go back to the book of Deuteronomy and we find a code. And in that code, there were several things that could trigger discipline and even expulsion from the community. These things are actually listed in 1 Corinthians 5, things like being a swindler, uh, someone who is divisive, a heretic, someone who, and by the way, heresy does not mean that they don't agree with you. 
it doesn't even mean that they don't agree with the mainstream. A divisive person can be right, but the way they are right divides people and breaks people up. So it is the kind of person that walks into a room and causes a problem. Even if they are doctrinally correct, the way and their attitude. So heresy just means divider. It can mean somebody who is, well, taking somebody else's wife or husband, dividing a family. There are a lot of ways that you can be a heretic and it didn't really have to do that much with false doctrine, but being a false individual, a bad character. But there were others as well. Um, there was sexual sin. Pornea is a big umbrella term in the Greek. Generally, um, we just call it sexual sin and it means any sin outside of the covenant relationship of marriage. And so that was in there as well. Paul lists these and says, you cannot act like this is not, you, you, you cannot eat with this person. Because in the first century, you are who you eat with. This is very, very serious because it was community. Again, Jewish roots. The community had to stay together. And anything that threatened community cohesion was a huge problem. Why? Because faithfulness was something you did as a group, not individuals. Individuals were to come in and be a part of the group. This is why in the Old Testament, you will hear it said it again and again that Israel fell or Judah fell. It doesn't say Bob and Steve really messed up. It doesn't, it doesn't name individuals because if the community allowed this to continue, then the community is unfaithful. It has lost its identity. Think about churches, and there are churches today that are um, more of the Orthodox Protestant tradition, um, and they have become heterodox. They will, um, they will decide, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if you believe in God or not. It doesn't really matter if you uh, are a Muslim, Hindu, whatever, no matter what you believe is fine. And in fact, let's celebrate every single form of faith, non-faith, sexuality, or whatever. And they, they throw a cross over the top of it and call it Christian. Uh, it, it, it just, they've lost their identity. Who are you now? Why should someone show up there? What benefit will be gained if we give our money to this place and if we give our presence and our time to this? Whenever you, you've lost your identity and there's no particular reason to be there, no wonder then that the churches that these people represent have closed by the thousands and the pace of those closings is speeding up. But sadly, that means that the broader community has lost the light there of that church used to have, whatever flavor of church it was. It brought flavor, it brought <coughs> identity, it brought meaning and structure, and all that's gone now. So Paul is, is saying, you've got a leak in the dam, and it's going to get bigger if you don't plug it now. So this fellow was excised from the community. You're not going to eat with him anymore. You're not going to um, welcome him to your assemblies. You are not going to go to his home and hang out because he's crossed this line and he needs to see what he has lost. He needs to feel the pain 
of what he has lost so that he will come back. And in fact, he does come back. And Paul has to, to write him another letter saying, take him back, he repented. Because they were going, oh no, no, you know, once out, always out, I guess. Corinth, I'm just so glad I wasn't born there, but I'm also glad that God saved them and Paul called them brothers and sisters. So it can't be too hasty drawing these lines. But there are lines. And again, 1 Corinthians 5.11 will give you lines. Uh, the, again, the immoral, the swindlers, the divisive. You can see five real categories there. Um, and again, all of them really come from the Jewish code uh, that was given in Deuteronomy, which is slightly different than the one given in Leviticus, but we'll deal with that way down the line, shall we? So, why do you have discipline, whether you call it excommunication, shunning, um, disfellowship, whatever. It is done to protect the body first, and second, to impress upon the person the seriousness of what they've done so that they will miss what they are no longer a part of, and they will come back and be warmly received. The Bible says, restore such a one to the position they once held. You don't, they're not coming in probation. You bring them in because we all sin, we all fall down, and maybe we didn't pull that kind of stunt, but we're all saved by grace. Why do we not see this done in churches? Well, I think there are, there are good reasons. The main good reason is that we don't like marking people. Uh, at least not face to face. Now on the internet, people mark each other all the time, or they'll write articles and, and papers and such and name and, and attack each other all the time. But rarely do we in one of our, our, our little group, our faith group, our culture group, whatever, decide it's time to mark someone else. And the Bible does tell us to be extremely careful. Judge not that you be not judged. Got that one? But in Matthew 7, it also says, by their fruits you shall know them. So if they're causing damage to the rest of the community, then what do you do? And again, I absolutely applaud those that hesitate here because they're doing it out of love. Now, if they're doing it out of cowardice, that's a different thing. But I, I really don't see that. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to throw that label around. I think it's done out of love and out of a real, a real desire to not lose fellowship with this individual. And the end result is, in my particular tribe, I've seen disfellowship done maybe five times in my entire life. And of all of those, only once was it done well, where it was a contemporary issue. This was going on. Disruption of the worship service. Um, disruption of everything running from house to house and dividing families. This same one little group was doing all of this and, and literally disrupting the worship service in ways I don't really want to get into. But it was becoming a problem. Uh, they were doing this in public to the point where the sheriff was called. And so after months of trying to help them, the elders of that church stood up and read disfellowship. Broke our hearts. In fact, the, the elder who was the spokesman had been in the worst battles in Vietnam. And he said this was the hardest thing he had ever done. And he wept. This isn't something they wanted to happen. Now, if this was a standard preacher story, we would then talk about how these people repented and came back. They didn't. 
they formed their own little cultic group that fell apart uh, later on, and that breaks all of our hearts. What about the other times I saw it when I said it wasn't done well? Because they didn't break fellowship with somebody. They just said they did. The person had already broken fellowship with them. In other words, they just waited until somebody had been gone for two or three years and was living a life that was just not part of the faith community structure. And then they decided to disfellowship them. No, you didn't. That person disfellowshiped the whole community by leaving them. And in fact, that was a mistake made by a church in Oklahoma where a lady uh, in, entered a marriage or a sexual relationship, I don't remember which, doesn't matter, that was not approved of by that church. They told her so. She withdrew herself from that church. So she disfellowshipped the church and was on, going on with her life but the leaders of this church thought, well, no, we still have to formally disfellowship her. No, you can't disfellowship somebody who's not fellowshipped. They're already gone. What's the purpose of your disfellowship? In scripture, it was so that that person would miss this so much he'd come running back. Well, this lady is not missing any of that fellowship. And she sued them for slander and libel and ruining her reputation and such, and the courts supported her all the way up to and through the Supreme Court. What do, what do we do about this? Well, in the old medieval days, when the Catholics had a religious monopoly and a political power monopoly, excommunication meant death. It wasn't just that you couldn't come to church and we weren't going to eat with you. You, were, you had the mark of Cain on you. Nobody would give you a job. You couldn't be married. You couldn't have anything. You, you were uh, a non-person. And it was a horrific thing, and it was wielded for purposes of power. And again, different popes did it better or worse, but that's, that's the reality. But then come along the Protestants, and the Anabaptists in particular, they used it, but they didn't call it excommunication. They called it shunning. This wouldn't even see you. The Amish, if you, if you leave them, will actually have a funeral and declare you dead. I know that because I've, many years of my life, I was good friends with a man older than me who was the son of a bishop in the Amish tradition. And when he had decided to leave that, they'd had a funeral for him. And again, different Amish groups have different rules. But Amish, Mennonite, that entire stream of Anabaptists use shunning. Jehovah's Witnesses use a version of this as well. Uh, and then if Scientologists, uh, they're much more aggressive. Not only will they shun you, uh, they have a fair game. Um, it's called fair game. L. Ron Hubbard called it that, where they uh, are supposed to go attack you and make your life an absolute hell for the rest of your life. And you can listen to Mike Render and Leah Remini's podcast on that fair game. You will get an awful lot of information about how they, how Scientology attacks those who lead. Now, be aware that Leah has a mouth on her, and there are many words which we would never use here that she uses habitually, but the information's good. Fair enough? Got it. So what do we do with this? Well, there are lines that are pretty strict. Now, if I, uh, if I had a, a sexual um, sin in my life, 
and repented, am I then to be excommunicated? No, there's repentance in there. But if I were to leave my wife and join myself to another, then my, my people would say he is no longer one of us. And I don't expect that any of them would come to my house and we wouldn't go to movies, we wouldn't go to sporting events. They, um, we would, I would be shunned. And you know what? I would miss my people. I would miss my faith community, not just the ones that meet at the soundstage, but those of you that are watching this, because we have thousands, literally thousands. We just picked up another country this week, and this is being, by the way, recorded in October, so that shows you how the lead time is. Uh, I would miss them. I would miss thinking, well, the people in Thailand and Jordan and Canada and Malaysia and, so and Australia, aren't. I, I don't hear from them anymore. And I think it would spoil any attempt I had to find happiness outside the community. And that's its purpose. I would come back to the community and I'd be happier and the community would be safe. It would keep its cohesion and identity. I know a lot of these things are politically incorrect right now and they, it, it opens us up to a lot of attack. But the thing is, you do have to draw your lines, make your definitions and decide who you are. Well, the sexual sin wasn't one. And again, 1 Corinthians 5, 11, Paul gives a list. You know, if you have somebody who's swindling people in the community, no, 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 you can't do that. But there's another one that is in 2 John verse 10. There are no chapters and it's just a short, it's not even really a letter as much as it is a note. But in 2 John verse 10, if somebody denies Christ, now I've seen that misused so many times where people will act like, well, they don't like, uh, they don't think you have to be baptized, so they're denying Christ. Or they, you, they don't think you need to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday, or they don't think, so they're denying Christ. No, no. To deny Christ would be to deny that Jesus is the Son of God. And we believe that he is the Son of God. That's our identity. So if you deny that, we can't act like that isn't an issue. That's the issue. We are going to confess Christ on the day of judgment. We're not going to be seen, shown a movie of our life to see who was right and wrong and where our sins were. No, it is, did you profess Christ? And Christ will be asked if, the, if he knows us. That's, that's the hinge point. So, of course, if somebody denies Christ, then they are no longer part of the community. But 99 times out of 100 people that do these things disfellowship the community far earlier than the community is ready to disfellowship them. So church discipline is rare. It should be rare. But if it is needed to be done, it should be done in humility with as much love and hurt as possible because it should hurt us not just the one being shunned or excommunicated, whatever. It should hurt the whole community to the point where they're in tears over this. We're not supposed to draw lines quick. As, um, and I'm aware, English teachers, I should have said quickly. Uh, David Lipscomb famous, uh, famously said, if you don't know that name, he was one of the early pioneers and really faith and identity shapers for the Churches of Christ, the Christian churches, and um, not so much of the disciples of Christ. He, he, that branch had branched off pretty much by the time of his death. But anyway, 
David Lipscomb, uh, who was super conservative, by the way, and very, very strict, said, be very, very careful when you draw a line of fellowship because you might be on the wrong side. Never disfellowship anybody Jesus wouldn't disfellowship. Well, that's a hard burden, isn't it? But I think it's supposed to be. This is awfully quick, just 20 minutes, but it's a heavy subject. I hope the rest of your new year goes great and that this issue never becomes an issue with you or with your faith community. Maybe if we loved each other enough, this would never be necessary. But people get to choose how they behave. People get to choose whether they follow the line or whether they want to break the cohesion of the community or just not go by its identity anymore. And when that happens, our response in love must be the minimum necessary and our love must be the maximum. We'll see you later. Have a great week.